Support for this program comes from Tiger Lily Communications, public relations, publicity, content creation, and marketing. We make you look even better. Find out more at TigerLilyCommunications.com. That's T-I-G-E-R-L-I-L-Y Communications.com. Welcome to Speak On It, the podcast where the creatives tell their stories about what they do and how they do it. I'm Felicia Hodges, and today I'm here with Esli Manning, author of the espionage thriller Trojan Horse, the story of an American intelligence operative who is betrayed by his own agency. Launched by Encircle Publications earlier this month, her debut novel has been described as a remarkable tale that makes espionage rousing, demanding, and occasionally terrifying. Welcome, Esli. Thanks for joining us. Thrilled to be here. Well, good, good. We're happy to have you. So Trojan Horse is your first published novel. Um, yes. You've been writing for most of your life. How did you, your interest in, in writing begin? Um, well, it's sort of a weird story. Um, when I was about six, I read a story about, um, there was a, um, I read a lot as a kid. And there was a story I read where the dog died at the end. And I got so mad. I said, I'm going to write a book where the dog doesn't die. <laughs> so I wrote the exact same book, but the dog didn't die. I mean, it was 20 pages. I was six. What it was. But um, from then on, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write. And I, I read constantly. I used to... Um, that's why I got terrible grades in math and science because I'd sit in the back of the room of the room and reading novels. Uh, and I always wanted to write. When I got older, I, I realized, you know, I, I had some jobs as an editor in New York. Uh, I wrote some short stories that were published, one won an award. Um, but I just decided I didn't want to be old and, and poor, so I decided to become a lawyer. And um, got away from it for a while and then. I came back to it when I was about 40 and started, wrote my first novel, which will never see the light of day. <laughs> you actually went to school. You went to college for creative writing. Is that correct? Well, I just studied, I studied English. I think at that point, um, there weren't that many creative writing programs. And I went to the local University of Cincinnati and they didn't have a creative writing program, but I would have gone, loved to go to a creative writing program. How long did you practice law? Um, off and on, let's see, I graduated in 85 and I pretty much retired in 2011 after, um, after my bilateral mastectomy. And I said, I've had enough. I'm going to write. Your, your bio says that you have like a fascination. You've always had a fascination with international thrillers. Did that begin for you in the classroom you know, in grade school when you're in the back of your science classes reading novels? How did that start? Well, I think it started, there was a lot of spy shows on television in the 60s when I grew up. Um, But it was also, I was a shy kid. And um, I I was one of those kids who, if there was a big party and I'd go to the party, I'd wind up hiding under the table. So I didn't have to talk to anybody, but I would watch everybody around. and, And I felt like I was kind of a spy. You know, I was, 
I was observing and watching and sort of mentally taking notes. And I, there's a parallel between actual, I think, between writers and spies in that they are, you know, they're, they're not who they, you think they are. And they're, they're very observing their surroundings and they're taking notes, mental notes of what's going on. But I also love, I sort of love the secret world that other people didn't know existed. And um, maybe because I was a shy kid and I wanted to escape into a secret world. There's a lot of grayness in the spy world. I mean, we're so, if you, a lot of, a lot of cop thrillers, you know, it's black and white, um, good guys, bad guys. And in a lot of, in spy world, both sides think they're the good guys. In my book, Trojan Horse, I have my villain, actually thinks he's a hero he's a fascist he's trying to work for what he thinks will make a better romania which is his country so he thinks he's the he's he's the hero of the story and it's very anti the book's very anti-fascist but um it's also questioning what what we do in response to something that's that's bad or evil and how much is going too far and how much is appropriate the the basic premise of it is um, my agent, who is Kolya Petrov, who is a Jewish-Russian immigrant to the United States, is trying to track down this neo-fascist, who's also, by the way, anti-Semitic and neo-fascist in Romania, who they think may be plotting terrorist attacks around the world. And unknown to him, his own boss has devised a plan to, to get the bad guy, but that involves setting Kolya up to be kidnapped and tortured. He doesn't know that. He thinks he's, he's doing his, his job and he's, he's in love. He just gets, in, he gets engaged right before he goes off, as we know, to what is basically a trap. There's a theme of, um, of uh, anti-Semitism. The uh, fascists are, um, you know, they traffic in the usual uh, conspiracy, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. But I also try to sort of very subtly raise the question is, why did they pick him to be sacrificed? Why did his boss, uh, his boss treats him a little different. He's, his, his, he has a close friend who is a son, rich son of a, a senator, and he's treated very differently than Collier is. And so I'm trying to question whether, you know, the whole idea of bias that the person may not even recognize as bias. And it's very, it's a very subtle thing because I really don't go into it. There's one question I ask once or twice, I ask, you know, why is he the one that they're treating differently? I think it's an important question. I mean, I'm, I, uh, I can, I know the Jewish experience. I mean, I think that this goes for uh, people of color much more than for Jews because we can hide a little bit more who we are, but there's a lot of bias out there that's not acknowledged and that's not recognized even by the people who have it. And the question is, is that something that's going on in decisions that are being made that affect people's lives? So I write it from the Jewish perspective because I don't feel like it's my, it's not my place to write it from, for a person of color, but I think it's an issue that has to be raised in, in any kind of bias question. I just want people to think about it. I mean, the bad guy is planning very bad. He's planning um, basically the meltdown of nuclear power plants around the world, including the United States, which could result in 
tens of thousands of deaths. So yes, there's a need to find out, to find a way to stop him. But at the same time, do you sacrifice one of your people without even asking him, you know, um, I mean, in, in Collier's mind, and I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but the, the, the ultimate sin would be that he wasn't even asked whether he would be willing to, to go on a mission that's basically a suicidal mission. And the question is, is that, is that something we should be doing? There's also a discussion at some point in the book, and this is, it's not a plot thing, but a discussion of the use of torture. And um, between the bad guy and actually and another person, and the question is, is torture ever acceptable? If you know, you know, the, the argument that's been given is that if you know there's a bomb planted and the person knows where it is, are you going, you know, and you don't, you know, is it legitimate to torture them to find out? And the counter argument is that any country that indulges in torture is going to kill more people through torturing them and torturing the wrong person than will be lives will be saved by maybe torturing the right person. He does survive, um, and I'm working on the new one with him. He survives, and his uh, but he's quit. He's quit the, the game until his childhood best friend from Russia, uh, holds the key to stopping a, a nerve, uh, nerve agent attack in the United States. And that's as far as I'm going to go about the new one. <laughs> I have, um, I was in the last few years diagnosed with ADD, which I never knew before, but it made a lot of sense when I look back over my life um, and how I approach things. So I will if I get distracted, it's sometimes hard to get me back because I'm like, you know, I'm going like squirrel. But um, when I get obsessive, I can hyper-focus and that's all I do. I mean, the hyper-focus helps when I'm in, it's sort of like in the zone. It's, it's great. It's like, um, it's, it's, you know, things just pour out. But when I'm distractible, it's not so, not so great. The first draft of Trojan Horse took me an, a year to get the whole, from the whole thing written. But the first draft was 850 pages. It's taken me 15 years to go from the first draft to being published. Um, and I read through that and I realized that um, I actually asked one or two people to uh, read it and they said, well, about once I got to page 350, I couldn't put it down. I said, well, maybe I need to cut stuff before it's page 350. So I cut it in half and then I uh, got an agent. She couldn't sell it. And then I decided to try and sell it again, cut it, and cut, cut it by a third, got a contract for the, the book. The contract fell through because they decided to stop publishing mysteries and thrillers. And then I took it back and rewrote it last summer, actually, and to the, at the point where it is. Um, it is now so you know it's been an ongoing process and i will say the the last rewrite the the um anti-semitic theme has become became much bigger because of recent developments and the increase in anti-semitism in this country and the neo-nazi rise so i thought that needed to be discussed much more openly
You mentioned your uh, ADD diagnosis and your uh, bilateral mastectomy, your breast cancer diagnosis. How have those impacted not just your life and your, you know, your writing life, but your life and um, the urgency to kind of do this now? Well, I mean, I was very lucky with my um, breast cancer. I had what is uh, known as DCIS, which was very, very early breast cancer. It was very widespread but it had not progressed into invasive. And I had it fairly widespread on the right side and the doctor said, there's some spots on the left side um, that I wanna look at too. And I said, nah, I'm done, get rid of them. I felt very fortunate because I, I met this wonderful group of very supportive women who'd survived breast cancer. But I felt like I had caught it early enough and been aggressive enough that I didn't feel like I was you know, that, I, that that was going to be a significant threat to my life or to how I uh, lived my life. The ADD was interesting to find out because I could stop calling myself names. I have started so many projects and stopped them because I lost interest. And I tended to say, oh, you know, I'm just lazy. I'm just a fuck up. When I said ADD, I said, huh. Um, I have a neurological issue and I just need to learn strategies to cope with it and stop calling myself names. And that actually helped a lot. It helped a lot when I, there are times when I'm getting, you know, like a squirrel and I could tell myself, okay, you're letting the ADD control you. You have to control it. And um, it made a difference. How has your family reacted? Well, my family's been wonderful. Um, my daughter, Jenny, um, was, lives in uh, California. And she's, she actually, I was writing when she was 13. And I think she decided she wanted to be a screenwriter because she kept, um, I'd like to think I inspired her. I'm not sure she'd like to say, <laughs> me to say that. My son, Dean, has been very, uh, very supportive in New Jersey. They've all read my book and made comments over the years. And, um, you know, I feel very fortunate to have such a wonderful, uh, supportive, literate family. And my husband's, you know, my husband was a, has a PhD in English from Columbia. And the thing about being a writer, especially even with your book being published, there's times when I'm going like, oh, it's really crap. I really, it's really just got my gypsies. No, it's a good book. Shut up. <laughs> Where can we find it? You can order it from independent bookstores everywhere. And independent bookstores are really suffering right now. They need all the business they can get. I mean, it's on Amazon and up with my publisher and Circle Publications. But Amazon has enough money. Go, go to an independent bookstore and order it. Um, they, they really could use the business and um, the pandemic's been tough on them. To me, your story is one of perseverance, right? You started here, went here, made a couple turns, did this thing, this amazing, you know, lawyer thing. That's like incredible to me. And then here you are, your first shot, really, your first completed novel and published. For folks who are just starting and, and uh, wondering if they'll ever make it to where you are, what would you say to them? I would say to follow your heart. I mean, the worst pieces of advice that 
I think a writer can get is to write, try to write to the market so you can sell a book. I think write a book that you love. It doesn't matter what it is, but write what calls to you because you're going to spend a lot of time with it. And it's also, it's, and I'll say it's a crapshoot whether you'll get published or if you're published, how much you'll sell. But um, the point of the writing has to be the writing. The point, and I think if you really put yourself into and put your heart into it, that'll show through in the, in the work. And that, that I mean, you, it may or may not be a huge success, but you will have a book that you're proud of. And that's the ultimate, that's the most important thing. For more on author Esley Manning or her book Trojan Horse, log on to her website at www.esleymanning.com. You can also check out uh, Trojan Horse at Encircle Publications. They have a, a blurb up about it or on Amazon and then go buy it at a bookstore. <laughs> I love that. I really do. <laughs> That's our episode. You can follow Tiger Lily Communications on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or email us at tigerlilycommunications at mail, just mail, dot com. Let us know what you think. By the way, the original music you hear is Please Irene from Lynn Riley and the World Mix. Check out some of their past performances on their YouTube channel. Hope to catch you again soon. Stay safe out there. Thank you.